0: Hey, everybody. What's going on? Rob Sestrino getting ready for our amazing race exit interview and recap here after episode number four of the amazing race 31. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently in this episode of the podcast. I'm going to have the exit interview with the most recently eliminated team, Corinne and Eliza. We're going to have that up first. Uh, last couple exit interviews, we had those at the end of the recap, but this is is one I think that people are going to uh, particularly want to hear uh, considering the interest in Corinne and Eliza so you'll hear my exit interview with Corinne and Eliza first and then Jessica Leese and Mike Bloom will join me for the recap for whatever reason if you want to skip ahead to the recap you can do so by uh, skipping ahead about 16 minutes in your podcatcher catcher to uh, kick off our recap of the amazing race from this week. I want to thank a sponsor before we get to Corinne and Eliza and those are our friends over at Ship and Ship is the brand new dating app that lets you set your friends up and be set up by your friends. The way that it works is that if you're single, you sign up and you invite your friends to join your crew and if you're like me you're in the crew of people like Adam Klein and you You can go through and swipe away, and then you can be the person uh, swiping left or right for the people that you are in their crew, and it's a great way to bring friends together. They say it takes a a village to find somebody, a relationship, and uh, that's exactly what we're doing here on SHIP. I'm in a ton of crews, really. The listeners of Robert's Podcast have really uh, taken to SHIP, and uh, it's a lot of fun, it's a great way to interact with your friends and potentially meet somebody. And uh, I even have the okay, uh, first the first dating app that I have the okay for my wife to actually be on, it's Ship. So go ahead, dating is more fun when you do it with friends, download Ship for free at GetShipped.com slash R-H-A-P, that's Get dot com slash R-H-A-P, GetShipped.com get slash RHAP and start today and uh, let's go ahead and get to my exit interview with uh, Corinne and Eliza who uh, called in earlier this afternoon. Corinne and Eliza what's going on?
1: Hi Rob. Hi buddy. How are you? We're okay. We wish we weren't talking to you quite yet.
0: Yeah. I wish, uh, I wish it was later in the season two, but I always, uh, relish the opportunity to, uh, get the talk. So I guess, uh, let, let's, let's get into this. Uh, and I want to know, uh, how, how was the reaction to, uh, last night's show for you both?
1: Um, the reaction, like our reaction or the, Twitter's reaction or Instagram's uh, well, reaction? How, how or, are you guys
0: doing? Because I saw uh, uh, some uh, negativity uh, coming your way.
1: Oh, we're fine. Corinne prepped me and said, Eliza, the best thing that could happen is all the negativity that will be spewing our way because, hey, it's better to be hated than
2: to be forgotten.
0: That's true. That, yeah, is, that is true.
2: Honestly, I didn't get back on my third reality show because America loved me. Like, <laughs> that, that's, that's my brand. So I'm fine with all of that. But as far as like my reaction from watching it, I found um, I didn't, you know, when when we were in it, um, it, I felt so, so, so horrible watching her struggle and so frustrated. And it just seemed like everything was against us, like we couldn't catch a break and and watching it back, um, taking sort of that, I guess, that level of anxiety while you're racing out of the equation. I was able to see sort of how we treated each other and how much like our friendship and our like love for each other how that like actually played out. And I thought that that was really satisfying and an angle I never would have thought was going to be portrayed. So I thought that was kind of the, the cool thing that came out of it that I didn't expect at all. Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: Yeah. I think that that's uh really one, one of the amazing things about uh, you, Corinne is that uh, you are a, a great friend and I think it gets overlooked that, uh, that what a nurturer you can be.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I like, I very much like the idea of not just being a one-dimensional character, whatever that one dimension is. And I think that this is the first time on TV I've been able to have more dimensions. And the same goes for Eliza, you know, both of us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, hey, I remember uh, in Caramoan also when uh, Dawn was having low points and you even you, you took care of Cochrane. So I, I think that there are uh, points where we've seen that a little bit before. Uh, w- what I would uh, love to hear more about is w- w- that you guys seem very upset with uh, Rachel and Alyssa in the episode. And it seemed like the only thing that had happened was that uh, they had said, hey, that's our cab. W- was there more? Or to the, uh, what was going on as why you guys seem so frustrated with them?
1: Um, there was a little bit, but for the most part, I mean, it it basically could have been anyone on the mat next to us. And if we were the ones getting eliminated, we would have despised those people. It It really, I mean, as you can see from the comments that we were actually making, oh, I hate them. Oh, I'm never speaking to them again. I mean, it was nothing specific to them. It was just our you know, extreme devastation and disappointment and anger and frustration with getting eliminated. Um, when, I mean, I think it was also really evident how much this meant to us and how deeply we cared about staying in the race and fighting. And we had so much more to give and it just, we had a bad day.
0: Okay. Now have Rachel and Alyssa been blocked on any social media platforms?
2: (laughs) No, No. we're actually really good friends with them. We talk to them all the time. I, I texted Rachel up once right before the episode aired because I was like, you know that I love you. You know that I have no idea what I said. I'm not in control of my emotions. Um, You know, it doesn't mean anything. You know, I've tried to paint the picture of imagine, Rob, for a second, that like I've never seen a minute of Big Brother. I don't know anything. I didn't even know who I was aware. Rachel was a person. I didn't even know she had a sister named Melissa. They show up head to toe in neon green body glove outfits with like hashtags all over the outfit and they've got like crazy eyelashes and big lips and they're just their their decorum during the race is very different than the way that eliza and i were and just the way that they were upon first inspection was off-putting i was like who are these girls like i I didn't know anything about them and i didn't get to know them on the race at all i got to know them after the race and i can say honestly i genuinely like them very much in real life but when we're racing like you only see what you're handed like i didn't have any other context to go on. So I watched them push people out of the way. I watched them, you know, do a lot of things that like we found were off the you know? Mm-hmm. So that's where like my opinion of them came from, but it was, it was inaccurate, which goes to show you, you troll internet. But <laughs> <that> sometimes <laughs> you don't really know a person just because you watch so much of me.
0: <laughs> yeah. oh, Eliza, could you talk a little bit about uh the moped and uh why it was such a struggle?
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um so i mean i've spent I spent the first thirty five years of my life actively avoiding getting on <laughs> what my all my friends were doctors call a donor cycle, meaning, you know, oh no, the best organ donations, the best organ donations come from. Motorcycle accidents because it's a quick death, and so the organs are still good. And usually, it's young, healthy people riding motorcycles, and so they call them donor cycles. So I've actively chosen That's not very to, dark, learn to ride a motorcycle. Yeah. Well, it's true though, and and so I don't have a death wish. I you know I, I love my life. I, I don't want to you know get injured. I've watched people get injured throughout all of my travels on motorcycles, whether it be in Thailand or in, in Vietnam or in other places. I've watched friends crash their motorbikes and get very badly hurt. I watched a girl who I, I met traveling in Thailand flip off of her motorcycle and break both of her arms off a motorbike. She put her arms down. She broke both arms. She was in like this house with her arms out like a, like a, you know, stiff uh, up, and it ruined her trip. She had to be airlifted home. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I've had the opportunity to ride a motorbike, I've been like, Nope, I'm just going to pay to ride on the back of somebody else's. And of course now I wish that wasn't the case. And I wish I had at some point in my life learned to ride a motorbike, but, maybe I'd be dead if I had done that. I don't know. I, I mean, I find them terrifying and, and unpleasant and the bike was big and a, a bit unwieldy and I had no experience uh, on there and, and it was very difficult. And I, you know, I was never going to quit. I was never going to give up. I, I kept trying mm. until I got it, but it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a huge challenge for me. And then the added stress of having all these teams show up and pass me and pass me and pass me. And pass me um, you know, just compounded it.
0: Sure. I mean, with all that bad history, uh, with the, uh, motorcycles, was there any talk of Corinne doing that part of the task?
2: So no, we had already assigned a long time ago, if it was any kind of driving challenge, it was going to be her. We went through every single possible challenge we had ever seen on Amazing Race and decided who would do what. So we never opened a clue and were like, you do it. No, you do it. It was always going to be her. But I want to add that like, I understand the idea that when you're watching it, you're like, Oh, Corinne must feel like, damn it. I wish I took that. I do not Rob. <laughs> Let me tell you <laughs> a few things. I have the balance of somebody. Yeah, you
0: said it on the episode. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I have a balance of somebody with an inner ear infection. He's also wasted. Like I cannot, I, I literally, before we started literally like the day before I took a spin class and I fell off a stationary bicycle <laughs> in the spin class. Like, this is not my wheelhouse. She was the right person. We would have been eliminated if it was me. Like, I I, I, I get that it would be really nice to rewrite history, but I'm not the person for that task. Okay.
0: The, you had these other 10 teams that you were out there with. Uh, is, is everything good with all of these other teams that you guys played the race with?
1: Yes. And in fact, um, not only do we talk to all the other teams, but I was the person who gathered every single person's cell phone number put us all on a group chat the whole cast on one chat i facilitated that and i always make sure like i don't miss anyone's birthday and and send it to the whole group and everybody's like in touch and super friendly with one another um you know, we do have some offshoot chats with people who we're closer with, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, we are in touch with all the with all the teams. Uh,
0: even the Afghanimals. It seemed like that that was another team that you guys had friction with on the race. I
2: do not care for them. I am not really in touch with them. I'm on the group thread, but like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really care for them.
0: <laughs> Wait, was that strictly because of uh, what, what was going on on the race?
2: No, I just you know, some people in life you just don't have any use for. I would say they they're under that category. I mean, you can think we've played on Survivor seasons where like. There's a few cast members that like, sure, you'd like give them a high five at a reunion of some sort, but you're not going to like go out of your way to stay in touch with them. Mm-hmm. I would say the Afghan animals fall under that.
0: Okay. What was the highlight of uh, the four legs of the race that you guys went on?
2: I would say um,
1: when we got to the school in Prabang where we had to memorize the Laotian alphabet and we were just so in the moment with each other, just so locked in on each other. All right, we're going to come up with the mnemonics. We're going to memorize this. We're going to do it. And it just played to our strengths. And I thought, you know, we just had so much fun doing it because we were, we were just doing it. We were doing well. And we came up with things and they were hilarious and they didn't even show all of them. I mean, I wish one of the deleted scenes showed every single one of our mnemonics because they were pretty good if I do say so myself. Mm -hmm. And we, we excelled at that challenge. That was our one chiron where it said currently in first place. So um, I think that that was probably like a pretty big highlight for us.
0: And you guys uh, had a a great leg in uh, leg number three. And of course, uh, that it's been a a big hit at my house, Corinne, that my kids really like uh, watching uh, you guys handle the prawns and uh, have to get the hook out of their mouth. How how hard was that to battle with the prawns?
2: You know, I, I just want to point out that like I took 16 years of tap dancing and I was a cheerleader for all four years. But we had previously discussed that if there was a dance challenge that involved both of us, we would not take it. So despite the fact that neither of us have ever even so much as touched a live shrimp before, we didn't hesitate. We were like, shrimping, it's shrimping. So we get there, and we don't know what we're in for. Tyler and Corey are not doing super well at it. And for some reason, there are no other teams. Um, once we started to get the hang of it, um, look, I would have lost a finger if that meant we could we could have danced another leg. So the, the pain of them biting, and they were super aggro. Um, was really uh, a small price to pay to be good at something. So I wasn't, you know, I didn't care. And it, didn't, it
1: didn't show that there were double hooks. And one of them, once I pulled it out, I let go of one while I was going to get the other and it went directly into Corinne's hand. So there was like a hook hooking her actual hand for like a, a solid 30 seconds before I was able to pull that out. I mean, it was, we were a disaster at it, but we actually did pretty well at that as well.
0: I, I know you guys are uh, close with Brett and Chris also. Uh, were there any opportunities where the survivors uh, could have collaborated where we see that the big, like, uh, the big Brother Alliance is kind of a thing on the show?
2: Well, first of all, that's bullshit. You and I both know that. If someone asks you to be an alliance, you say yes. It doesn't mean anything. What you want is an actual organic, real friendship or relationship with another team, which we had with Chris and Brett. The problem is Chris and Brett also suck at this. There's no, there's no point at which they could help us or we could help them. Believe me, if there
0: was,
1: we would have. I needed. <laughs> line here. Like, it was not. Yeah.
0: Right. You guys were like sh- sh- ships in the night.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, I was like, well, oh, they, they must is. be lost because there's no way they're dancing. And they were dancing. <laughs> you know, like, it's-
0: well, was there something that you guys saw on the TV show that really surprised you that you didn't know while you were out there?
2: <laughs> I think we, I mean, there's, it's not what you what you saw on the show. It's what you didn't see on the show that always surprises me. Like we watch the deleted scenes because you know obviously we can't remember what the hell we said. It was a year ago, and um, I'll watch the deleted scene and be like, like rooting for myself. I'm like, yeah, Corinne, give it to them. Yeah, <laughs> like, and I'm just there's so much. I feel like this show in particular is different from Big Brother and Survivor is in that they don't flesh out the characters as much because they're really the major character in this show is not the team. It's the actual countries you're in. And so a lot of time is spent, you know, establishing the culture of that country and why that challenge is relevant. And da, 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 da. So you don't get a lot of the stuff that ends up on the cutting room floor. And to me, um, that that when I watch the deleted scenes, that's the stuff that like kind of got me versus what I was just watching on the TV.
0: OK, uh, we've only got about another uh, minute or so. Is there anything else that you guys want the listeners of the podcast to know that they uh, may be interested in?
2: I mean, we do have friends, we do like other teams. Team Fun made us a drunk-o-meter uh, like instead that. of a fun-o-meter. Yeah, like, we, you guys, whatever you see on TV, you internet trolls, you don't know us and you don't really know what goes on. We actually have a very, really great relationship with almost all of the other teams. Yeah. Eliza, th- That is
1: true, that, I mean, we it's true. I mean, I think they all like us in real life uh, in spite of um, what it looks like on television. And, um you know, I think that a lot of what was shown i think i mean I think that as a as a like elimination episode, I was glad that it showed our friendship and Corinne's you know softer side and how supportive and and loyal of a friend she is, and that she never you know people when they heard that we were cast together were like, "Oh, can't wait to see those explosions like they're going to be abusive to one another and blah and that was just never the case um and I know some people find our our elimination very satisfying, but I, I think that you know we showed that we would never give up. Not our
0: listeners. Not
1: uh-huh. your listeners. I, I hope not. Um, and and that you know that that Corinne is extremely supportive. I mean, I I, I texted her because I was watching the episode East Coast Time, and I was like, "Shit, Corinne, this is kind of off brand for you. Like you're being so nice." <laughs>
0: Okay, well, uh we're we're all sad to uh see you guys on the show. It's not going to be as fun moving forward, but uh you hope to talk to you both again soon, okay? Yeah,
2: you too,
0: All right, take care. Bye. All right, everybody. There you have it. Corinne and Eliza talking about everything going on on the amazing race. And we go from one dynamic duo to another as I bring in my co-host for our amazing race recap. Uh, first uh, let me welcome in our chief amazing race correspondent, Jessica Lee. Jessica, how are you?
3: I'm doing great, Rob. Very excited to
0: be here. Okay. And I, I have to get to, I believe, uh, is this the podcast debut of brand new daddy Mike Bloom?
4: I thought for a second, like, is this the podcast debut of baby Asher Bloom? And I was about to scramble and run out of the room and see if this kid could produce some intelligible you know, syllables about the Amazing Race episode, which we'll see if, if I've been capable of doing that, considering how punch drunk I might be less than a week into having a newborn.
0: OK, uh, Mike, congratulations to you and Angela on uh, the birth of baby Asher. It was a week ago that we were all uh, talking about the amazing race and uh, we were not expecting this.
4: Yeah, I mean, he came. He was supposed to come actually we're um, recording this on a Thursday. He was supposed to come on Tuesday, the day before the Survivor finale. I think Baby Bloom just wanted to see if Rick Devins was able to really, you know, work his way out of the hole that he's dug for himself. So understandably, he ended up being born uh, on May the 4th. So it's been really interesting. He had his first big reality TV night last night watching Survivor and Amazing Race back to back. He's a little confused, but I'm only assumed that he was naturally attracted to the idea of the giant polar bear, assuming that he is a baby. So there's something for everyone there.
0: Yeah, I do find that there is a lot on these Amazing Race episodes for me to show uh, my kids. This is like the first time that there's been an Amazing Race season in a while. They're old enough to uh, look at it. I, I do find that there's a lot of things uh, between animals and polar bears, Jess, to uh, show my kids.
4: <laughs> Wait, is, is, it, is a polar bear not an animal either? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, he's not a real polar bear. The, this particular polar bear, I believe, was a person in a costume.
3: Oh, I, I really... If you have any doubts left in your head, Rob, I really don't want to ruin anything for you, but I I do think that was a (laughs) person involved. I think both times. I'm
4: 99%
0: sure. That's what I think. That's what I was thinking.
4: I I, I did love that. My favorite was his involvement in the speed bump, where again, he was just sort of this poor man who got mowed down and is probably receiving workman's comp from Brittany barreling into him earlier on in the episode. But when he's like, when Chris and Brett are trying to make the snowballs, you just hear very muffled like, Targeter. No, no need to be more tight. Like, yeah, he's that guy who's in the goofy costume who, like, they forced to talk because he has to be the task judge while also the mascot of the uh, the task appropriately.
0: Yeah, Chris and Brett said that uh, the uh, polar bear was taunting them. So uh, that was part of the speed bump in this uh, episode. But uh, I guess, uh, Jess, we need to talk about our top story at this hour. You heard it at the top of the show. Our uh, friends from Survivor, uh, the second Survivor team to fall, Corinne and Eliza.
3: But well, it has not been historically a very good place to go after Survivor.
0: Hey. The Amazing Race. Yes. Boss and Rob keeps like, sh-
4: <laughs> keep blowing through here. We capture Week, it seems, to make one errant He's comment. Busy. <laughs>
0: He's busy. Little Boston Rob drive-by. Nug it off. Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't like that. Anyway, uh, Mike, it's uh, not not looking great for the Survivor teams, although this was uh, Brett and Chris's best leg of the race.
4: Yeah, I did see something on Reddit that is super Samantha Semantics-esque statistics, but I believe Brett and Chris now officially hold the record for best comeback from finishing last in a non-elimination league with nine teams. And so... (laughs) there might be a bit of hope for them. You know, I, in a season where I did feel like we were so, sort of separating the Kurds from the way in terms of teams that were really doing well and teams that were not doing so much, maybe things are starting to thin out a bit to just look a bit, you know, dairy-like overall. But yeah, it's it's crazy to see that. And I mean, if Chris and Brett had not been saved last week and the same thing played out this week, we would have seen all three Survivor teams go back to back to back.
0: Oof. <laughs> okay all right we are going to uh, get into everything from uh this leg of the race just what, what, what's the biggest headline for you besides uh the team that was eliminated
3: um i think how they went out is a pretty mm-hmm. big headline um we got to talk about that i think we got to talk about the return of the basket boats um we got some cab stealing up in there we got some very fun we got some very fun something or other happening with that construction of those wheels. Uh, there's a lot to break down. here.
0: Okay. All right. So uh, we open the festivities as uh, the uh, teams were headed for uh, what is this place called? Uh, Snowtown? Oh, yeah. Snowtown, not Ice Town. (laughs) Not uh, not Ice Town. And, uh, Mike, uh, this was just like a a, a fun jaunt to Snowtown.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think if you essentially took the inflatable Mount Fuji and conceptualized it into a building, it might be this. (laughs) I'll admit, I'm a fan of the chinsiness, especially on Amazing Race. This felt a little chintzy to me. I, I was happy that poor Floyd... Did not, you know, mitigated his chances of getting heat stroke in Vietnam for the second leg in a row. I hope he didn't get frostbite. I mean, by far, the thing that sold this visit and especially I would say maybe this episode in general was just poor Brittany being an unstoppable force meeting a movable object that was that man in the polar bear costume.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, And that was the title of the episode. I took out a polar bear.
4: Yeah, which yeah. I mean, I, I think very much out of context, I could have seen a section of the Internet definitely going after Britney if they just took that comment completely <laughs> out of the context of the amazing race.
0: Yeah, she's not poaching the polar bears.
4: No, only I oh, think she's just she's giving them shade. Uh, that yeah,
0: that's, that's, that is a roadblock we don't want to see no uh we don't want that uh and then just uh things got progressively more difficult from there and i don't know if this is by design or not but uh, it was uh, nearly impossible for some of these teams to find a cab to uh get to the detour
3: i think sometimes it's easy to find a cab and sometimes it's really really not um but before we get to- too far down the road of the roadblock. Uh, there's a few race mechanics things that I want to highlight at Snowtown. Um, and as well as a little race history lesson, if you will. Um, because this put into my mind something that we've already seen on this show. Uh, way back in season 15 in Dubai, they went to like the real version of this, which makes this seem even cheesier by comparison. Because there is an actual ski slope that is indoor in Dubai. And I think we've been there more than once at this point, um, mm-hmm. although all of the international versions blur together as well. But people were made to actually ski down the actual ski slope in Dubai. So the fact that there's like this very tiny indoor hill and you're sliding down on a sled design for five-year-olds, mm-hmm. that kind of added a little bit more to the uh, cheesy carnival version of this that you know compared to the Disney world of the indoor ski slope in Dubai.
4: Mm -hmm. I just I felt bad for not only the polar bear, but those poor workers who just had to they were told, okay, stand at the bottom of the slope and have these grown adults just completely speed down a hill and into especially people like Chris and Brett who said (sighs) they considering how much they sunk their boat, I can only imagine what a combined five hundred pounds barreling into a poor minimum wage Vietnamese worker would look like.
0: Well I was wondering, are those people always there or did they just show up for the amazing race?
3: I think they're always there, but I think usually the people barreling into them are
0: five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. (laughs) Yeah.
3: I I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but it looks like a kid themed place to me.
4: And another great Britney highlight for as much as may have been made this episode about the Rileys versus Corinne and Eliza. I don't know if you guys saw this. I know Eric Curto. Uh, brought this up but britney giving a pretty like a julie rosenberg-esque push or julie's husband-esque push uh to rachel when she grabbed the sled to get away from her. <laughs>
0: uh, i i didn't catch that uh in the episode but uh, if it's anything like the twitter video that i recently saw that, that's uh one hell of a push
3: that was that was maximum security in the Kentucky Derby.
0: <laughs> okay. Jesse. Uh, anything else on Snowtown before we talk t- about uh, Capgate?
3: Well, I think right now is a very good time for Mike and I to uh, resurrect the segment that we have invented for this podcast. Um, while you were out, Rob, we created a, a new weekly recurring theme for the show uh, that we're calling Amazing Race 101. Okay. And Mike and I have a drop for you, actually. That uh, one of our uh, a young fan of ours has put together and recorded uh, just for this segment. So, Mike, you want to play the drop for us? Amazing race one, no one.
0: Okay, and
3: we want to give our thanks to George in Washington Heights for uh, recording that for us. Oh
0: wow! (laughs) Is is that a George podcasting debut?
4: I think that is a
3: George podcast.
4: Intentionally, you may have heard him screaming in the background sometimes. Uh, I think this is just much like Snowtown itself—a slippery slope to Rob as Casey Kasem one day announcing George on the wand off. Mm.
3: It's either going to be that, or he's just going to like show up hosting his own show at some point. Because that kid, he was more game than he should have been to do this drop for
0: me. Yeah, (laughs) I know what that's like. Okay, all right, Amazing Race One Hundred and One. Amazing Race 101.
3: And this week, uh, we got questions about two different things that I want to bring to your attention. Um, And thing number one, I think, is the more obvious one, uh, which is the speed bump. And we can go into the extensive history of the speed bump. I think we talked a lot about non-elimination links last week. But one of the questions we got from a few different people who have, this is their first time watching the show and they're not sure, is... This speed bump seemed kind of cheesy and and dumb and like it didn't take very much time at all. Now, Mike, is that emblematic of all speed bumps, would you say?
4: I mean, not all. Like all tasks, there is going to be a range of difficulties associated with it. I do feel like the unfortunate connotation is usually when we think of speed bump the vast majority of them are going to be these simple tasks. Like, I believe one of them was uh, sitting on a chair in an ice hotel for 10 minutes without getting up. One that you commonly reference, Jess, is Amazing Race 21 winners. Uh, The Beekman boys basically just trying to Mm -hmm. eat ice cream from a little asshole vendor who tried to do a bunch (laughs) of weird fidget spinner tricks with it. So you do have occasionally exceptions to the rule. One of the things that I think might be the toughest speed bump ever was in season 27 when uh tanner and josh essentially the speed bump was they had to do the roadblock again but with the other person i think that's sort of our go-to in terms of the hardest speed bump but i would say for the most part you know they want to give you an extra task but not something that is so out of the way that it completely derails your game like we saw here with chris and brett yes they had to stay behind and make snowballs but they also had to deliver it to the place where the roadblock was so i'd say if you're looking at speed bumps they are mildly inconvenient in general.
3: Yeah, I I think that's quite accurate. Um, I don't think anybody is meant to be hung up at a speed bump all day. Although I think we do highlight it whenever something like the Tanner and Josh thing happens where it seems like the speed bump's a little more difficult. I think on the whole, we wish they were a little more difficult, but not so hard that we see someone rolling out hay bales for eight hours.
0: And it always comes back to, and the Beekman boys got to eat ice cream.
3: It really does, especially since Beekman Boys didn't even do it correctly the first time. They went to the wrong vendor. <laughs> yeah. And then they had to go and eat more ice
0: cream. And, and the Beekman Boys, uh, famously, they had never uh, come in first in a leg. And, and uh, I feel like that that's probably more historically significant in terms of uh, their contributions to Amazing Race lore. But somehow, just the, they get brought up anytime there's a speed bump that they got to eat ice cream.
4: It's an unfortunate association, I think. Like, it's not their fault that they happen to get this speed bump, but it happened to, you know, fall or get scooped into their laps.
3: And I love the Beacon Boys. They are such lovely guys. The couple times I've met them, they're just fantastic people. And it was a really great final leg that they ran. They got this. Yeah. Oh, no. no. I have no problems with Beacon Boys as human beings or as racers. Season 21, maybe not my favorite season, but they got to eat ice cream. Come on.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, Jess, anything else uh, in Amazing Race 101?
3: Second, second lesson of Amazing Race 101. You got two lessons that we have to impart today. Um, we got a lot of questions because this, I think, is the first time, if you're a casual viewer, this may be the first time you've ever seen this and you may be wondering what was up with it. In the beginning of this leg, we didn't actually go to the airport. But teams got released in kind of a staggering start, according to when they checked in at the map the night before. And they go to Snowtown, and Snowtown is closed. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of teams had to sit around for an hour or more waiting for Snowtown to open, and at that point, all the teams are in one place. And we got a couple of questions like, is that normal? That seems kind of weird. So... We want to tell you that this is something, if you were an early days watcher of Amazing Race, this happened all the time. This was like every leg. They'd go to a museum or a landmark or something, and they'd roll up, and it would be like, this opens at 8 o'clock, and so everybody would be there by the time the gate opened. Most famously leading to um, a moment in my all-time favorite leg of the race, in Hungary in Season 6, where they were all waiting at this railway museum and it had this big iron gate, and they threw open the gate, and everybody just kind of stampeded to the gate, and then the gate comes crashing back on one guy's head. Ooh. So, that may be, I mean, they, they continued to do it for years after that, so I don't think this actually affected whether or not they were doing the hours of operation. But this was something that they called in the early days, they called this bunching. And it happened a lot.
4: And I think actually in my interview with Eliza and Corinne, I think Eliza actually name dropped the uh, the bunching term. And yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it also makes sense because going back to the first season, the end game was particularly interesting because one team lagged behind way too much because for lack of a better way of saying things without spoiling too much, they got cocky. And so they fell way, way behind and had to play catch up for the rest of the race. And so to avoid teams getting so stratified where, you know, certain teams are hours ahead of other teams, because essentially if you have a clear lane in front of you, there's really no way that you're not going to place the same way in the next leg. To create more intrigue, sometimes they arrange these hours of operation and departing time so everyone is bunched up together. Now, sometimes that also leads to them... You know, not necessarily making it 12 hour pit stops. Maybe it's 24 hours or 36 hours to coincide with that. But it also leads to fun moments like, you know, everyone noticing that we didn't see this on screen. It was in a deleted scene, but everyone was elated to see that Brett and Chris were safe. And you wouldn't have that without this bunching point.
3: And there's a couple of other things I think bunching serves. It does kind of get everybody together so one team doesn't get way too far ahead because we'll even see like Colin and Christie's season, for instance, they would get ahead by like almost 24 full hours at a couple of points. And this kind of mitigates that. But it also, in a case where you're not all going to have a natural bunching point at the airport, we're not going anywhere this leg. We need to have one of those points to get everybody into one place. Or the team that starts out first is definitely going to finish first. And there may not have been much mixing in the order. And you know, we, we can't get into too much detail, but there was a lot of mixing in the order this episode. Um, we'll get to that. So I think the bunching, a lot of people hate it, but it's necessary. And if you don't reset the board every so often, the board gets very, very wide, very, very fast.
0: Okay. Are we ready to talk about Taxi Gate? Yes, please. Okay. So it uh seemed like it was uh innocuous enough in the moment where there was a moment where uh we saw uh Eliza and Corinne go to a taxi and uh Rachel and Alyssa said, Hey, that's our taxi.
4: I believe uh, they specifically said, I think Alyssa said, Don't take that, that's us, and Rachel said, We're us, which is very confusing when you think about it. <laughs> yeah.
0: I am he as you are he as you are me. Yes. And it did turn out that it was uh, very tough to end up getting a taxi cab, but Eliza and Corinne seemed to get a taxi uh, very quickly after that, Jess.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell with editing, but it didn't seem like they were the ones that had the most trouble.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I was sort of confused. My It seemed to me like it was kind of like a Much Ado About Nothing.
4: But I would say that this was the straw that broke the neon green camel's back, because Mm -hmm. I think when you see them in the taxi, I think this is just sort of another bullet point to add onto that list of things that they don't necessarily like about Rachel and Alyssa, at least upon first glance, like they had spoken about with you in their exit interview, Rob, where, you know, it seems like from what we're gleaning, both Rachel and Alyssa and the Afghanimals are really garnering this reputation of, being out for themselves, doing anything to get ahead, even if it means like being snippy and, you know, not necessarily being friendly to their competitors in good spirits. And it feels like for them, this is another indication of that. You know, they, they, I think a Corinne says something along the lines of like, Hey, you would have done the same thing if you were in our position, which I was a bit intrigued by, because I guess that does sort of admit that they were intending to take that taxi. Right. Well, of
3: course they were willing to take, they were, definitely going to take that taxi. I mean, they didn't know necessarily as they were barreling up to it. Like the guy's not holding a big sign that says Rachel and Alyssa. Taxi's a taxi. You're going to grab it.
0: Why didn't Rachel and Alyssa just get in the taxi? Why weren't they in the taxi if it was their taxi?
4: Yeah, they were standing. Up. Maybe they're trying to look for directions. They could have just pulled what Brittany and Janelle did, which was while well, the cab driver was on the phone, they just sort of forced their way into the taxi at a point where I'm sure this man was surprised to get in the driver's side and just see two people in the backseat.
0: Okay, so we got to hear uh, Liz and Corinna talk about uh, Rachel and Alyssa. Now, luckily, Jess, uh, we uh, heard in the exit interview that uh, looks like uh, all these fences have been mended.
3: Yeah, and I guess that's... I mean, what else are you going to say? I don't think anybody in the history of Amazing Race exit interviews on RHAP has ever come in like guns blazing about another team.
0: Yeah, but I, I think that if there really was uh, some friction there, I, I, I don't think that uh, Corinne Kaplan would would mm. hold back uh, as based on the uh, question about the Afghanimals. Yeah,
4: that is that is a fair point. I was about to say, like, compare Corinne's response to Rachel Lisa being like, hey, I think I unfairly judge them. And, you know, we're friends now, too. I know when I asked uh, Corinne specifically about the Afghanimals, she said basically they're losers I don't care about them. <laughs> like they're they have no redeeming qualities. I would never go out in public with them.
3: <laughs> so I guess they're not all having
0: a finale party at the speakeas. <laughs> maybe. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't think okay. I don't think
4: Corinne's cat sitting Leo's cat anytime soon. <clears throat>
0: Um. So the teams were struggling to uh, get the cabs. Have we touched on this yet? That uh, Chris's hat, Mike.
4: Oh, uh, the hashtag bromance. <laughs>
0: hashtag bromance hat.
4: Yeah, it's in interesting that, they, that they're trying to work that in. Like, I guess maybe they were hoping that you know the, those couple scenes of Amazing Race where they would put you know team nicknames in the lower third that that would pop up. But yeah, you know we talked about the scant amount of merchandising outside of the funstoppable and, Corinne and Eliza's brief race survive get paper shirts that have existed this season. But I guess this is one of them. We'll see if Chris opens up a you know an online shop with these (laughs) bromance hats. I don't know if they're flying off the shelves, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Jess, uh I don't know if bromance hashtag bromance is gonna take off.
3: It's probably already been used for something (laughs) else. Um if you're gonna use a hashtag, if you're gonna try to market a hashtag. You need to be really, really sure that nobody else is using that hashtag for anything.
4: Yeah, you can't walk around with like a shirt that says hashtag crazy on it and say, yeah. "Ooh, this is my brand now. Everyone's going to remember me for this." Uh, Just
0: what was the hat that, that uh, Scott and Brooke and uh, Team Fun were passing around uh, for on, the, on their season?
3: Oh yeah, it was a it was a reference to a really... the
4: the Keesh hat.
0: <laughs>
3: quiche. Oh yeah, the quiche hat. It was a reference to an HBO show. That they had all, like some of them had watched and some of them had not, and they just kind of picked up quiche as their adjective.
0: Yeah. Hey, I I'm checking out uh hashtag bromance and uh I have to say I, I am happy to see that the top result is uh the uh Chris Hammonds. Uh, there he is. Chris Hammonds. Well
3: that's probably tailored somewhat considering your interests. <laughs> it's like, well Rob likes reality and, TV. Let's show him tweets about that.
0: And I follow him on uh Twitter, but uh let's see what uh Chris Hammonds had to say with the bromance hat. Episode four recap. Polar bear didn't get us. We got through the speed bump. The moped was ridiculous, but I rolled right around there. And Brett and I on the boat. It was a romantic stroll down the Vietnamese River. Brett loved it. The bromance continues.
4: Okay, that was it.
3: Wow. But what mall kiosk did they get that hat from?
4: <laughs> yeah, I wonder I wonder if they were like, oh, crap, we need to buy something. We're in LAX. Uh, sure, get this hat that says hashtag bromance. That we give out to like, people uh, who stop over. <laughs>
0: That's funny. Uh, yeah, you know they were like uh, I think added into the cast uh, late in the game. They they might have just picked that up somewhere. Shit. Like that I, right. I, that might not be a custom build.
4: All right, Brett, you get the skinny jeans. I'll get the bromance hat. going to piece together this wardrobe.
0: Like, quick, stop at this Seven Eleven right here. Let's see if they have any merch.
4: Well, <laughs> all right. Uh, do we need to practice Vietnamese? No, no, we don't need to at all. No dancing necessary. We need to get hats right now.
0: Okay. All right. Um, uh, There were teams that were really struggling, uh, Jess, with trying to find uh, this taxi team. Fun had no taxi. Nicole and Victor had no taxi. Tyler and Corey had no taxi.
3: Well, this is something I always wonder about on The Amazing Race, because I know that not every city is like New York City, where you can walk outside pretty much anywhere at any time of day and do a street hail and get a taxi. And a lot of these cities, it seems like, oh, the taxis are just kind of around and they're just going to street hail them like they're in New York. And I have to imagine it's not as easy everywhere as it is here. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: yeah, I, I am actually very surprised that and maybe again, this was unshown, but Team Fun, I think stumbled upon a really great idea of calling a cab ahead of time. And while that has been some teams in the past, I feel like when it's such a busy intersection where you can barely flag down anybody at any point in time, being able to at least guarantee some sort of form of transportation showing up is key. So I'm a bit surprised that other teams did not try to also sort of find a building and call in a taxi like Becca and Floyd did.
3: Well, this used to be a big plot point in the early seasons. Again, it's another kind of shout out to those because there used to be a whole... They invented a whole rule about how you couldn't call cab companies and cancel other people's cabs. Um, and it was a thing where they would... like, In the morning, they'd get out of their hotel and they would have called the cabs to pick them up and take them to the destination. And it feels to me like more places in the world than not. If you want a taxi, you're going to have to get them on the phone. All
0: right. Are we ready to talk about uh, what's going on here at the uh, roadblock?
4: I'm excited about this because I remember once upon a time in the early salad days of RHAP. Rob, were were you not expressing the fact that one day you did want to drive a motorcycle at some (laughs) point?
0: Um, well, uh, now, now that I hear about all the
4: now. Eliza's,
0: uh, really talked me out of it. Um, I think I'm, maybe it was a joke, uh, that I, I think that maybe, uh, Nicole was, uh, getting worked up and I was just trying to push her buttons. I don't know if I really ever wanted or needed, uh, any sort of, you know, two wheel, uh, motorized transportation. Yeah.
3: Cause does this qualify as a motorcycle? technically hmm
0: i don't know uh i think I, I, a, a mope I, I might ride a moped <laughs> motorcycle is it, is it, seems very dangerous
4: well what do you think it is is it just that like the amount of gear and engine wear that is showing to the public that makes it scarier is that what sort of is uh less appealing about it to you
0: i feel like it doesn't go that fast
4: i don't know so you see what happened to janelle jim almost wrecked a <laughs> bunch of mopeds
0: yeah.
3: Yeah, at 30 miles an hour.
0: Jess, <laughs> what do you what do you make of the uh, learn to drive a moped?
3: I mean, this was a fine task. I think it highlighted an aspect of the local culture. It was challenging, but if you paid attention and you stuck to it, you could pick it up. I, I don't think this is one of the most dynamic tasks I've ever seen. We're not going to be talking about it three years from now, but it did its job. It was a perfectly serviceable task. Okay. I'm happy with it.
0: Uh, Mike, what were the highlights for you of the uh, moped roadblock?
4: Well, aside from Janelle almost ruining a bunch of people's afternoons by driving, by wrecking their main form of transportation. I mean, there were some really fun moments of irony, like Alyssa talking about how she has you know, a great balance and then immediately failing on it. Uh, I think actually one of my favorites is so I know that again we're gonna keep harping this fact that Colin and Christy, especially Colin, are not the people we know 15 years ago. I gotta say Colin has become extremely excitable for me, especially this leg which proved really well for them. I didn't realize that Colin, Colin and the dirt bike story is very interesting to me. That he bought his, they bought their kid a dirt bike. He had to get one on his own. He tells a story in a secret scene about how he wooed Christy. By pulling up outside her class on a dirt bike, shirt or you know chest open to the wind, with his hair tied back in a ponytail, trying to do his best James Dean. So he's become, he's the last person I would expect to be as obsessed with motorbikes. But it was interesting to see Colin not only be obsessed with it, but also I think tackle it in one go from what we were seeing.
3: Well, it tracks for season five, Colin. I could see that being the thing. I, this Colin, I don't, I don't know so much like. This this Colin seems like he drives a Volvo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like he's he's practicing uh with his kids and uh that I guess that while Christy is uh walking across the balance beam that uh, Colin's out on the <laughs> dirt bike.
3: Yes. It sure feels like the, his kids actually would have those like Montessori wooden like pedal bikes. They're not they're not on dirt bikes. <laughs>
0: Okay. uh, Some of the teams uh, struggled more than others. Uh, Ultimately, uh, Eliza was going to be the person that was uh, going to uh, have the most problems here. But I mean, it didn't seem like that. It took her a a ridiculous amount of tries. I think it was ultimately like uh, 10 tries uh, that it took her. Uh, It wasn't like it took her 40 tries to get through this.
4: Yeah, this was no welcome to Vietnam dance from the animals <laughs> or Victor eating the chocolate shoe. I think it was just the fact that all these teams seemed close together. And I'm assuming that they were going out on the same course. So they sort of had to go back to the line. And it was compounded by the fact that, as you mentioned, Eliza just continued to get frustrated, which was understandable. I think just given the fact that from what she talked about, I think that they she did not benefit from the fact that maybe people with more weight. Were able to center the bike more to not have it slip out from under mm-hmm. them, but yet yeah, to see her go to pieces over this, it was a uh, it was a little tough to watch.
0: Yeah, Jess. Uh, yeah, it, it, Eliza was getting uh, very emotional here.
3: Well, it's funny. It, it didn't seem to me, I guess, because we've watched so many seasons of this show at this point. I've seen people go to pieces in a task. And at this point, like, the alarm bells were not really going off for me because I've seen Eliza get emotional, and I've seen Amazing Racers fall apart at tasks. And she was upset, sure, but she wasn't, like, you know, she wasn't screaming that her ox was broken. <laughs> so I, I wasn't too worried. I thought, they're still going to pull it together. They're going to be fine. And they really kind of weren't.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I do think that uh, Corinne was uh, super supportive of Eliza throughout this. And, you know, I-, I mentioned this in the exit interview, but it's not really a trait, Mike, that you normally do associate with Corinne. But, you know, going just going back to her seasons, you know, uh, you know, thinking about like with uh, Dawn in Caramoan uh, specifically, uh, Corinne is like a like a good shoulder to cry on.
4: Yeah, I asked uh, them about this in my exit interview about sort of what they learned from each other, because they came in from this very unique perspective where they were the only team to have not actually played a season of their other show together. Their entire friendship and relationship was gleaned outside of being on the island. And one thing that Eliza did say is that and I actually think Corinne said it as well, is that she is extremely loyal. And I think it's maybe because we don't necessarily conflate loyalty with for lack of a better term, villainy. I think sometimes we equate villainy to what the animals are doing, which is, you know, betray people at every turn, you know, cut all the throats, but they sort of fill this odd niche where they are sometimes vicious vocally, but from... From, you know, a a relationship perspective, they're going to like who they're going to like and they're going to like them very, very hard to the point where it really did seem like outside of those couple of teams, they really did get along well with everybody to the point where you brought up uh, Eliza's text chain that she created after the race
0: hmm. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've said this before that, you know, uh, Corinne and, and Randy, I think they have this in common where that they are uh, actually uh, extremely like uh, nice and kind to their friends. Uh, it's their enemies that they are villains to.
4: Yeah. It just so happens that when they are not so kind, they're very vocal about it. And it just happens to take up probably they're more airtime.
0: Incredible friends to people. Uh, if you're their friends, it's uh, if you're their enemy, watch out.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's not really a dial. It's more of a switch, right? It's <laughs> either a 1 or a 10.
0: Yeah, or, or a 1 or a 0. <laughs> yeah, They're exactly. Binary. Yes. Okay.
4: Well, the other thing
3: that I've observed about Prynne is that if you give her a little bit of lead time, the meanness that she brings into anything is, you know, it's very cruel and cutting but it's also very funny and entertaining but the more external stress is put on her and the more and the less time she has to really think on her feet the more like just actively mean she
0: gets mm-hmm. and
3: I think we started to see killer fatigue catching up with her a little bit this leg as well where the funny mean was away and the mean mean was coming in uh,
0: that, uh, where, where did you feel like that, uh, that uh, was coming up
3: I think I think especially, like, in the wake of the Taxi Gate, they weren't even really trying to be funny. They were just, like... She was just kind of actively upset. Mm, um, yeah, but- I,
4: mean, I would agree with that. I think that there are certainly... Things that uh, were a bit ooky to me. You know, there was weird comments like Corinne saying here, like, oh, Eliza didn't grow up in a trailer park, so she doesn't know how to ride a moped. There was a pretty uh, not so great moment a few episodes ago where in Japan, I, I, I believe- mean, I
0: thought that was, I, th- I mean, that was a moped joke. I thought that that was fine more so than that was uh, particularly mean to anybody that was on the race.
4: Uh, yeah, that's, I guess that's true. I think, I think it's one of those, those Corinne jokes that like, Yeah, can be said one way and taken very, you know, heartily and taken another way. It's like, oh, my goodness, don't take
0: it too literally.
4: Yeah, there was was another moment a couple episodes ago where I think she uh, mentioned Gungnam style to a Laotian taxi driver, which is Korean. So it doesn't exactly play too, too well. But again, it's Mm -hmm. a little bit cheeky. Maybe maybe I think the things that maybe Jess is referring to outside of this stuff outside of the mat is the like we're blocking them on social media. We are separating ourselves from the race from now on, which
0: they didn't even really do.
4: That's true they they it's, talk It's the game. true,
0: and yeah, when
3: we get to the mat, I think we'll talk a little bit more about all of what went down, but my observation here is that i think I think there's a there's kind of a funny mean territory and a mean mean territory, and i think and I think you always want to be if you're not on Corinne's side, I think you get the full blast of the mean, mean stuff mm-hmm. at the points where, especially if she feels like she's protecting someone else. Yeah. And so I think that was one of the things that was in play to, she felt very protective of Eliza, especially in the moment with motorcycles happening. And so it was like, we had to shift all of the energy away from funny and mean still remained.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. Sh- is there anything else you want to say about the mopeds or can we get into the detour?
4: No, let's uh let's get soaked. Let's go to the river here.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh I did love the setup for this uh Jess, of uh do you want uh e- uh irri- <laughs> irritation or irrigation?
3: Yeah, that was one of the more inspired wordplay.
4: <laughs> it's it's no oh, this. this or that. <laughs> Yeah. But
0: nothing ever is. Um, And we only saw two teams uh, attempting to do the uh, irrigation. And I think that uh, both teams uh, would have admitted uh, that that was a uh, mistake. Uh, Irritation was the far easier task to attempt. But I I just loved when Phil described it of that the teams will have to go down in this boat and then there are annoying fishermen that will try (laughs) to stop them.
4: Yeah, this is like when you're trying to swim. In a pool in the summer, and there are like rowdy teens or kids, just sort of like splashing water and kicking you in the face. That's what it basically felt like. Where they were splashing them. Uh, I think they were trying to like bump into them. Though I do think Brett and Chris at one point, again, a theme of this episode, nearly knocked one of them over as retribution.
0: Yeah, Jess, uh, I I love these guys.
3: Yeah. Oh, they're they're definitely. It's an element of this kind of task that we've never seen before because we've seen these boats before. Um. We've seen them a couple of times, but most memorably... I looked at those and I said, oh, it's the flow boats. Mm. Because these are... I feel like every time we go back to Vietnam, we're just going to resurrect another piece of that amazing penultimate leg of season three. Mm -hmm. Because like each one of those things destroyed a piece of Flo's soul. And the little round basket boats were kind of the final breaking point.
4: I, do, I do love this idea of, like, Flo Horcruxes, where, like, she just, like, leaves a piece of her soul behind with everything that happened in Vietnam.
3: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not inaccurate. There is a point, like, they switched detours so many times, and the detours were, they were, it was called Basket Boats or Basket Bikes, and the Basket Bikes, of course, are the same ones that almost killed Floyd. Mm-hmm. So, those we've seen recently as well. And... So Flo and Zach kept switching back and forth between these two things until at a certain point you just had Flo sitting in the boat in the middle of the river just going around in a sad circle and sobbing. And they paid a local guy to get in the boat with her and row her across the river. Mm-hmm. So that's the history of these basket boats. And knowing that and knowing like what a toll this took on her, I had kind of always had in my head that these were really difficult. Mm-hmm. But if... They actually had to add an element onto this challenge where not only do you have to have a detail element where you have to like go and count the fish and bring the fish back, but you have to pull it over a bridge, and you also have these random guys trolling you while you're trying to paddle the boats. They had to make it a lot harder. <laughs> and I'm really rethinking that whole episode now.
0: Yeah, nobody really... F- Fell into the water. I, I did. did our, uh, Corinne and Eliza. Uh, yeah, they did. They, once. they, they yeah. did once, but they were the only people that actually fell into the water. Nobody else did, right?
4: Yeah. Well, they. I right. think they also misinterpreted. They took the typical adage of like, "Hey, this man is standing on the on the boat." Clearly, we both need to do that. Where clearly, the thing to do was as Brittany and Tyler mused during their sort of lazily passing one another, one person should stand and the other should be the counterweight and just sit in one position on the boat to sort of balance things out. Maybe that's another thing Jess, as to why this ended up being a relatively easier thing than what happened to flow because I believe they had to navigate those boats independently, right? In TAR three, whereas in this one, they were on it together. So you could at least balance it out a little bit so that, you know, you weren't, uh, it's like, it's like the motorbikes, the more way down you are, the more lower your center of gravity is and the easier you are to balance on them.
0: Yeah,
3: it certainly seemed that way. And I think in Tar 3 you had to each be in your own boat, but there was no rules about like any other additional people you might pick up along the way going into the boat with you.
4: Mm-hmm. There was no I no I, was what I know hitchhiker's rule was put into effect, starting with season 4.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, I, right. I know that uh Chris and Brett were pushing the limits of <laughs> the uh weight capacity on these uh basket boats.
4: I so love, these boats are really sturdy, yes. I, I, sturdy. I loved Brett's quib about you know that how much he loved Venice, like that's the Brett I think that we we know and love from <laughs> r h a p so it's great to see him shine through it. you know he had reasons to smile concerning they were in such a good position at the time, and Chris was. You know awkwardly hovering above him and wearing that bromance hat fully out
0: (laughs) well i felt bad for uh, the one of the annoying fishermen because it looked like that uh he was like trying to mess with chris hammond's and uh i I thought that chris hammond's was uh just going to like uh, uh knock the guy into the water
4: yeah, did they see that episode of Millennials versus Gen X? He was gonna like stick the oar under the boat and capsize him.
0: Yeah, like uh, like tread lightly here, uh, <laughs> Mister Annoying uh, Fisherman Guy. Um,
4: he clearly hasn't watched enough college football, Rob.
0: No, I, I don't think so. All right, well, let's uh, g- circle back to the teams that were working on uh, the irrigation. Uh, the Afghanimals got it started, and uh, they seem to have a better sense of what they needed to do, uh, even though it was a struggle for them, Jess.
3: Well, yeah, that and that is race experience coming into play. Have the Afghanimals made it very far in two previous seasons, and they have done a lot of those building tasks where they had to look at one thing and then replicate that thing in another place. That was the thing that undid them the first time they were out. And it's something I know that they've practiced a lot, and we've seen them have to do these tasks Many, many times. So they, you could tell immediately they knew what details they were watching for on the model wheel and what they needed to be doing on their wheels. So it's not surprising that they were pretty quick with this.
0: And Mike, th- that Rachel and Alyssa were going to really struggle with this. Uh, I didn't know what they were doing wrong, but I just uh, you know heard that wind chime uh, going off left and right, and I said, uh, uh, Rachel and Alyssa are doing something wrong." I can't put my finger on what it is, but it does. This does not sound like it's they're doing the right thing.
4: Was it a wind chime, or was it wind blowing through bamboo?
0: Just uh, do we have a name for that sound that plays when teams are doing something wrong in the Amazing Race?
3: Um. Well, it used to be a gong, and they would call it the gong of stupidity.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: but now it's... And there's there used to be, like, the little rattlesnake
4: sound. Mm. But and, that was, I feel like that was uh, the rattlesnake of, like, irony, where it's like, oh, we're not going to get lost this time.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was more... That's more of a hubris rattlesnake. Mm, hubris um,
0: rattlesnake.
3: But I don't know that we have a, a sound for the chime. Uh, the rattlesnake we used to call... We don't really swear on this podcast. We used to just call it the OS.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'd love to see a clip of the uh, uh, Oh Shite Rattlesnake.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Watch out for... Yeah, I will find one. I'll find one.
0: Yeah, Uh, I I would love to see that.
4: But yeah, I mean, it looked like this was a thing where, again, you would think race experience, especially for Rachel, would know these detail-oriented tasks, but it just seemed like every single time they got a check, some little detail was wrong, whether it was a piece of bamboo facing the wrong way or the spigot pouring directly into the basin instead of being propped up. But I mean, we saw another bit of a Rachel meltdown. I'm intrigued to hear from you, Jess. We we get this sort of Zen Alyssa thing with her really convincing her like, we need to stick with it. We can't quit. But I guess going back to the JL rules, do we think this would have benefited if they had swapped considering that this put them from second all the way down to eighth place? Well, I
3: think it depended. I think think we talk a lot about these tasks where the judge comes in and like tells them you're wrong you have to do it again and sometimes he doesn't give them any clue as to what they've done wrong and sometimes he says oh you have to adjust this this and this and I think in the ones where they're giving you some direction I think that's a little bit easier to feel like you want to stick with it because the end is in sight those ones where you have like a million things that could be wrong and they just keep pointing at it and saying, it's not right, it's not right, it's not right. You could be there all day. But the one like this, that guy seemed to be telling them every time. Like he used to give, he would give them one clue every time as to what they were doing incorrectly. And that, I think, probably made them feel a little more secure that they could actually get it.
0: Well, let's uh, touch on a, a couple of the other teams uh, that were going through uh, the, uh, the, 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 irritation task uh just uh, we saw that uh that colin and christy they got to where the fish were and then uh dumped the fish into the uh bigger basket boat and did not take the smaller basket with them which seemed, it seemed like a weird move yeah
3: i feel like the fish were still alive mm-hmm. and maybe they kind of weren't after they dumped them in the basket boat
0: I don't know They like, do we need the basket like uh, no uh, like what's the harm in taking it I mean, would they get a penalty for like oh you weren't supposed to take the basket with you
4: well no they were well I think they maybe felt like they were supposed to transport the fish maybe they thought that okay we're sitting in a basket so technically we're transporting it in a basket what I also love this again another random tidbit about Colin he says apparently the only exercise he does is paddle boarding
2: yeah
3: that does not seem
4: accurate
3: <laughs> that guy is like shredded and
0: I have been paddleboarding.
4: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he's paddleboarding across like class five rapids. And maybe that's what he meant.
0: <laughs> yeah, I also thought it was weird that they. Oh, you have to get five fish, but all of the buckets seemingly had five fish. I don't know how you could potentially lose a fish unless you pull the colony.
3: It felt like everybody thought that the, every basket had a different number of fish in it, because that's certainly something the Amazing Race would do. Mm-hmm. So I think they probably opened the basket to like making sure, OK, we didn't take one that has three or one that has 12. Mm-hmm. We're going to take the one that has the right number of fish.
0: OK, uh, the team's, uh, you know, pretty much uneventful, got through uh, the basket challenge and uh, we saw the Afghanimals and Rachel and Alyssa still struggling with the irrigation task and uh, ultimately uh, they're still going to be working on that when we uh, get uh, Corinne and Eliza showing up at the task and uh, they, they have some, some hope now, Jess.
3: Yeah. And I kind of love it when the two detour options are right next to each other. I'd like that too, because I like that you could have somebody having terrible drama with their task. And then in the background, you see other people having different terrible drama with their task. I think that's a really striking visual thing. And I also like that it inspires people. If you're having a lot of trouble with one or the other, you could switch a whole bunch of times. Like Mm -hmm. I think that goes back to the Season 13 um, Dandrew moment where they were marching and serving soup. And it gives a lot of opportunity for people to second guess. I think it really gets into your head when they do that.
0: Okay. So... Corinne and Eliza are going to get into the basket boat and they are going to uh, attempt the irritation task as uh, it looks like it's set up to be a race against uh, them and Rachel and Alyssa. Now we start to get to uh, some teams coming in and checking in at the mat and uh, sort of out of nowhere, Colin and Christy uh, end up in first place, Jess.
3: Yeah there's a lot of strange shuffling around yes. here and it's very hard to tell what's going on and I don't have the full story and the pieces of the story that I have heard they're not a, they're not substantiated and they're not necessarily cbs sanctioned like, I don't think that we're necessarily supposed to give a lot of detail about this, but there was another task in there mm-hmm. is what I've heard.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, speculation about this online uh, during the day here on Thursday, but it looks like that there was a uh, a piece of the race that was omitted from the TV show, which uh, did not seemingly affect uh, the uh, outcome of the show, maybe some of the placements?
3: Yeah, I think some of the placements in the middle there were deeply affected by this. But since I think it ultimately came down to the two teams that were in the back, I think that's why they chose not to show it. But you can see in a couple of places when teams check into the mat, you can kind of see other teams in the background kind of milling around for no reason. And the reason is that they're participating in the task.
4: Hmm. Yeah. I, I, and, you know, I think the editors did an admirable job, at least trying to piece together legitimate narratives as to why certain teams want those visual, uh, you know, hints aside, just like, you know, we saw that oh, I guess Colin and Christy beat Victor and Nicole to the mat because they ran along the river and outran them, uh, which might not have been the case. Or Leo and Jamal got super lost, so they fell even further to the back of the pack and finished third to or fourth to last, which, again, might not be entirely true, but I could at least see some logical points being connected there as opposed to just randomly, oh, yeah, they showed up in fifth place uh, just out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And And
3: we also, we don't spend a lot of time thinking like, Oh, how did these people become fifth out of eighth? That's not something that we necessarily spend a lot of our mental energy discussing in any any typical week.
0: Yeah, Uh, it sounded like the teams played badminton against each other in head to head. Mike, if if you had to speculate, uh, do you think that that maybe just was not that exciting?
4: I mean, well, it depends on how much Colin bat plays badminton. if That's one of his passions, because if that's the case, then it would, under- it would make sense as to why they claim their first place victory here.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, just I don't think of badminton as uh, super exciting, but maybe uh, I'm in the minority on that.
3: Well, you know, when we were talking last week about... Um what you and Steven would do for your opening credits establishing shot. Somebody on Twitter suggested they would have filmed you playing badminton. So there you
4: go. Why? Why would they do that? Why would they not?
0: Mm. Yeah.
4: Because you want to film something they're good at.
0: Mm. Yeah.
4: Maybe they are. You don't know,
0: Mike. (laughs) Yeah, you have no idea.
4: I I apologize. I should not be judging.
0: Okay, we'll set that up as uh, on the undercard for the next live know-it-alls of uh, Rob versus Steven uh, Badminton.
3: Maybe you can do that instead of karaoke.
0: Yeah.
4: I feel, like, I feel like that might also make the cutting room floor if that ends up being the case. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Televised Badminton. Uh, it doesn't show up a lot.
4: It's on
3: the Ocho.
0: <laughs> on the Ocho. Okay. All right. Uh so uh teams uh start checking in, uh Colin and Christy. Uh they are greeted by uh uh just this was like the uh Liana Mormon of uh Ho Chi Minh.
3: <laughs> oh she was cute as a button.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh
4: boy Does that make Chris the giant white giant?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Uh no uh, more kids on the mat. That's fine.
4: Yeah, I like it. I'm here for it. More kids on our drops, more kids on the mat. Though I did feel horrible for this girl who had to be there for probably, we'll talk about one of the most awkward mat chats ever. Yeah, I think they they
0: got her out of the way.
4: (laughs) They ushered her off as these two teams were just very snarky to each other. One thing I really enjoyed about Colin and Christy checking in, not only because it's a fantastic you know, uh, capitalization of the fact that it's been so long, but Phil is talking through the prize as best as he can. Colin and Christy it seems like completely ignoring him. He just like takes her in his arms and they start kissing notebook style. And Phil's just going through the motions, not paying attention at all. Mm. That's also got
3: to be awkward. Like you're in front of a child, guys. Keep it PG-13.
4: <laughs> all
0: right. Uh, a, a couple that always keeps it uh, PG. Uh, Nick and Vic show up and uh, here they are and uh, second place team and Phil is very complimentary, Mike. uh, that. uh, He says that they are doing the best out of the non-racers.
4: Yeah, I think again, if we're talking about especially with the non-racer pack winnowing down, if we're talking about one non-racing team that I think has a chance of making the final three, it's probably going to be them. I think there's a very outside chance of Chris and Brett, but I think we can at least lock Victor and Nicole into, I want to say at least top four. I feel like we're going to see them in the finale, even though I still don't I still don't think we've heard from Nicole this month on The Amazing Race. This is yet another episode where we really haven't. Heard, it's been, Victor has done a lot of the uh, the talking, but you know what? They they work Hi. really well together. And, <laughs> come on. <gasps> so I'm I, they're very consistent. Uh, Which is great. I think them and Colin and Christy are the two most consistent performers thus far, which in a game like The Amazing Race is uh, is something to remark upon.
0: Justin, they are the team that's getting the Amazing Race trope of, oh, always second.
3: Yeah, it's it's a very strong winner's edit for Vic and Nick, Rob. It's going to be the biggest upset of the season if your team Mm -hmm. steamrolls Mike's team and my team and Dan's team. And ends up winning the whole thing.
0: That's why I love uh, Victor and Nicole.
3: It gives you a rooting interest. Yeah. I think, I think we did a good job. Yeah. I was going to say it was a big mistake not drafting them, but now I kind of like it.
4: Yeah. I've got, I've got some skin in the game. Okay. Yeah. When it comes to our drafts, Rob is standing in the boat just paddling water at us to try to get us all wet and disturbed and irritated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
0: Brett and Chris uh, come in, and they are number three. Right? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, no,
4: no, no, you're right. Yeah, the Chris and Brett number three and then Team Fun number four. Yeah.
0: So uh, congratulations to uh, Brett and Chris. Just uh, seemingly out of, out of nowhere, uh, just able to uh, get through this leg, uh, even with the speed bump. So uh, good on Team Survivor. Team
4: Survivor. And they're Bromance
3: figuring
0: was- it out. Yeah, Team Bromance. They're they're uh, they they've uh, maybe uh, Mike. Would you say are, have they figured this out? Do we expect them to uh, continue to uh, race the top of the pack?
4: It's interesting because I know the current allies have talked about this. But I think one of the disadvantages with all these Survivor and Big Brother teams is that they just needed more time to get their. Seed legs or their boat basket boat legs to you know make their way through the race and at least stay to the top of the heat. I feel like Victor and Nicole found that very early on. I think Chris and Brett have started to find it. You know they they were really lagging towards the back of the pack the first few legs just because it felt like they were very lost in nearly every task from both a navigational Mm -hmm. perspective and a performative perspective. I think they really hit not only a good cab driver but just a good way for them to put their heads down and keep piling through with a good sense of nature. I think if they keep that up, they'll hopefully be able to, you know, keep on keeping on. I think it also helps that, you know, they uh, they got non-eliminated, and I think that having that brush with death might have also put a, sort of uh, scared them ah. to maybe perform, perform a bit, knowing that, okay, there's a chance we could go home just as easily. Let's make sure we really give each task our all. You're
0: saying they've come back from the edge of extinction.
4: Exactly. They wrapped a sail around them as they wrapped those snowballs because their hands were very cold.
0: You know, just I think the problem or the challenge for Brett and Chris is that there's going to be some legs where the because uh, I think they have like similar skill sets that they're going to have some legs where they're just going to go through it like a hot knife through butter. And then there are going to be some legs that are not conducive to their skill sets that they're really going to struggle with and uh, could potentially be the last team to arrive.
3: Yeah, I think it's true that they are one of the less balanced teams that's out there, but I think for everybody you have to be a little bit lucky to be to be good at the race. So we'll see how lucky they are in the upcoming weeks.
4: Okay. I don't know, just they were they were pretty balanced in that boat.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Fair.
4: Okay. Uh Tyler and
0: Corey end up being uh, team number five, and uh, Leo and Jamal uh, end up at uh, number six for the Afghan animals, Mike.
4: Weird leg for them. You know, they had a pretty darn bad leg last time, but they were out in first for, I'd say, the first half of this leg. Uh, I think it was just two things it was that they picked the wrong half of the detour that slowed them down, even if they did do it a lot quicker than Rachel and Alyssa. And. Apparently, you know, step two, question mark, question mark, question mark, step three, sixth place finish. Uh, so we're not entirely mm-hmm. sure what may have happened, but it's clear Vietnam is not their country. Maybe Dubai <laughs> will be next week.
0: <laughs> OK, uh, it was uh, Janelle and Brittany, are team seven. And then it was seemingly a race to the finish line between the uh, Rachel and Alyssa team and Corinne and Eliza. Rachel and Alyssa check in as team number eight. And then Corinne and Eliza uh, are the uh, last team to arrive and are eliminated. And uh, it does uh, not go great at this point, Jess.
3: No, this is and this is down to, I think, just the way that Eliza is, the way that she just wears all of her emotions on her sleeve at all times which is one thing that made her a lot of fun to watch on Survivor, Mm -hmm. but maybe in certain moments isn't as great to watch on The Amazing Race.
0: It's a tough spot, it really is, and especially uh to have the teams on the mat at this at the same time and i I asked them about this on the uh exit interview, and uh they had uh basically said like it could it didn't matter who was there, it could have been anybody there uh, uh but i i thought Mike, that uh rachel were trying to be uh, magnanimous about the whole thing, but it, it it was not working.
4: Yeah, I think it was clearly an instance where the two teams didn't necessarily like each other, but you could tell they tried to be polite and were like, we really support them as racers and as women, so it's sad to see them go. But yeah, they were done. I think yeah. Eliza and Corinne just had such a bad day on top of... I do see their point about how maybe this could have been every any other team. I don't know. I feel like if Chris and Brett were next to them, it wouldn't have been the same type of reaction. I just think...
0: They're the only two people that it could have been. Uh, I I really
4: do. Or at least this extreme of reaction. I don't think they would have walked off the mat to have their own little decompression session if it wasn't Rachel and Alyssa on the mat. I think because we kept hearing confessionals about how they said specifically of all people, the two of them to be next to us while this was happening. But I see your point. I don't necessarily understand why the show did not say, okay, Rachel and Alyssa just go off camera left. Like, we, need, we want this to be oh, their moment. <laughs> n- no, they they, want, <laughs>
0: they knew that that was the irritant. And, well, uh,
4: here's my
3: thing. I want to know how much of that was played up because that moment happened. Like, how much of that story did they craft leading up to that moment so that they had a narrative reason for Brandon and Eliza to come as unglued as they did. In front of Rachel and Alyssa. Mm-hmm. Because I think they must have dug through and found every moment of conflict and put that story in there, this episode, so that when it did happen, it felt like it really was the kind of the culmination of everything that had happened.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I liked it. Was it uh, that Rachel and Alyssa were talking about how like we, like, we were just really blessed uh, in this leg of the race? light and I uh, <laughs> was. I think
4: it, I would have yelled at them too.
0: Eliza said, "Oh, oh, I guess we weren't blessed then." Oh, you know, Corinne
4: oh. said, "Oh, well, I guess we're not blessed," and Alyssa said, "We're not hashtag blessed." And I think Chris <laughs> is ready to make another hat.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and this was uh, weird that we then uh, they left the Met. And we we follow and we follow them a, a, away from the the mat. Uh, Mike, is there a lot of precedence for that?
4: Absolutely not. Uh, let me direct you to a piece that the one and only Jessica Lees wrote on website dot com back in the day from November twenty thirteen. That sort of, oh. that sort of talked about. Uh, I think at that point the Mount Rushmore of awkward pit stop mat moments. I think now we have a moment to round out the top five, baby. I think it's very, very rare that during a team's own elimination, they walk off their own mat to remove themselves from the situation and have a nice skyline view of Ho Chi Minh City as they sort of, uh, you know, support one another.
0: Justin, did you know that Mike was going to cite your 2013 uh, writings about the Amazing Race?
3: Well, I kind of sent him the article. Ah. So yeah. um, <laughs> I was going to say Well, this was actually, the 2013 article came in response to, we were talking about all the times that Phil had to be really awkward with people on the mat, and we talked about, of course, Jonathan and Victoria in front of Brandenburg Gate, and we talked about this all came because of Providence Amy, which is (laughs) a character I'm sure you remember, Rob. (sighs)
0: yes (laughs)
3: and so all the moments where Phil and the greeter are just standing there like uh what do we do next but yeah I think this definitely goes into that Mount Rushmore where it's like okay this isn't really this is really a kind of borders on uncomfortable to watch but I also think there was I think in that moment Corinne and Eliza were trying to get off camera and it is very unusual for the camera to then follow them and I think at that point, they just thought, let's get away from this and stop being on TV and have a moment where we can have real emotions and just let it out. But, of course, the camera didn't show.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Uh, I, I did like it when uh, Corinne said that uh, Rachel and Melissa need to take a good look at her because they'll never see her again, ever. <laughs>
4: It's very much like the worker who's like, take a good look at this. I'm not coming back to this. Sorry, ass company. Every, I'm not going to the party. I'm not going to a reality rally. We know that story as to why there's no mm. like there's you're not going to see me on Twitter ever again, uh, though, you know, again, cut to several months later and all seem to be good. Just I, I want to talk about more historical context because we did get a couple of comparisons from people with this situation to what happened at the end of Amazing Race 16, How would you compare what happened?
3: I would say that one was a little more cringy and it felt a little less organic just because I feel like what we saw last night was very much an organic response to everything that was happening in the moment. And I think it was, it was Eliza and Corinne genuinely lashing out to the circumstances that were eliminating them, being upset about being eliminated and taking that all out on Rachel and Alyssa who happened to be there. Whereas, at the end of Amazing Race 16, there was a moment, and I think we have to set this up again because there are people who do not watch the show with the same eye that we do. We had Miss Teen South Carolina and, like such as, and her boyfriend, rolled up to the mat and, was it second or third? Third, like, I think, do you yeah. remember? Third, okay. So, a couple episodes prior, they had U-turned another team, a couple um, named Brandy and Carol, and that had led to Brandy and Carol being eliminated. And so usually at the end of an Amazing Race season, not to spoil it for those of you who haven't watched, but the team checks in, that wins a million dollars, and everybody is happy for them. All of the old teams that have already been eliminated are waiting there at the finish line for them. Phil says, congratulations, you've won a million dollars. And then there's a weird, like, five minutes after that, where the team has already won, but then the two teams that are behind them come in and check in and are told that they have not won, which they pretty much already know. But at this point, at the end of the season, it's like you kind of fade out after that, and most of the time it's pretty unremarkable, and it's kind of a weird way to end the season with the third-place team, but that's how it works. So anyway, third-place team comes in, and Phil says you're team number three, and that should be the end of it. And then Carol and Brandy are like, no, uh uh-uh. uh, excuse me, we got to we got to something we need to say. And they come up and they proceed to start berating Katie Upton for having U turned them and for, have, for being, I don't even know, uh, for not being nice. And she said, well, maybe if you guys were nicer, we wouldn't have U turned you. And it became this really awkward confrontation that had been clearly reversed. And it just felt like, Carol and Brandy were trying to get their last moment on television and it was really maybe the most awkward thing that's ever happened on the show.
0: Hey, look that the tower of Ream says that if you have something that somebody did then you just gotta
4: get it out. And also get out of the sun. Yeah. Dude,
0: when you U-turn you me, that that really pissed me off. Just gotta let it, you gotta let it out or it will fester, Jess. You know,
3: I I don't know who could possibly argue with our queen. <laughs>
4: yeah. I think it was so interesting that, you know, I think Corinne and Eliza are really following these rules. And it makes sense they went to Remit Nam this episode.
0: <laughs> the RD rules. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, that's like number four of The Amazing Race 31.
4: Such. I tweeted about this. It was just such an unconventional ending as we spoke about before, like it almost broke any sort of rules that we've seen about the race before. And in terms of the way that things were staged, the way that it ended, usually it ends with uh, a pair of the pair saying like, Oh, well, you know what? This was really tough, but we still really grew an appreciation for each other. And it's clear that they very much did from what we've talked about in our exit interviews with them, but considering it ended with them like sobbing or Eliza sobbing in Corinne's arms as one team awkwardly looks on after this very sort of set of heated remarks was, so strange. I'll admit, say what you want to about them. They're a very polarizing team. I will be very intrigued to see what the post-team villain Amazing Race 31 is going to look like, considering how brazen they were about their actions and their words. I'm not to say that there's going to be a, a dearth of that, considering the teams that we have left, but they they were a very, very entertaining team. And I'm hopeful that the season continues you know, on its great trajectory, even though they're gone. Okay.
0: All right. Um, is it time to get into our feedback questions from the listeners of a podcast?
3: Um, we got a lot of great feedback um, in our a podcast patrons Facebook group as well as on Twitter, and we always put out the call for questions shortly after the episode. And we're happy to receive your questions as you're thinking of them. So I'm going to start out with uh, this question from Will Hatch, who says. Why do you think the big brother teams are doing so much better than the survivor teams?
0: Hmm. Yeah. We've seen all three of the survivor teams, uh, have a last place finish. Of course, uh, Chris and Brett saved by the, uh, non elimination leg. And. Hmm.
4: I mean, I would say that I think it also comes down to who was picked to do, you know, to represent these shows. No offense to the survivor teams that were selected, but if you compare young, fit, Victor and Nicole to Rupert and Laura Boneham, <laughs> it's not exactly in the same conversation. It's like comparing mustard and mayonnaise. <laughs>
0: Right. Uh, And Janelle and Brittany have been, uh, you know, right there with the survivor teams uh, most of the way. I I think it's between uh, them and uh, Brett and Chris, if you were going to make a bet on who might be back of the pack for the next leg. And then for Rachel and Alyssa, uh, even though that they were close to being eliminated in uh, this leg, don't forget that, uh, you know, Rachel Riley has done the amazing race twice before.
4: Yeah, I think they said this was something like, this was like, I think like her 27th leg that she's running the amazing race or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she clearly has a lot of experience just running the race. So yeah, I think honestly, it just comes down to who was picked to represent these shows. I don't think it comes down to, well, clearly this means survivors are the worst at racing as we hear that, you know, a certain uh, Bostonian spirit haunt us when I mention (laughs) that. Uh, I, I think it just comes down to who they happen to pick. And, Who knows as to whether, you know, Chris and Brett will continue to represent Survivor. Maybe Big Brother will take a couple of hits. Eliza did point out early on this. Big bromance. Yeah, big bromance. Eliza did point out it was surprising how none of them have taken a hit yet. But maybe that alliance that Rachel made a couple episodes ago is surprisingly holding.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I think think all valid points. I think a lot of it's down to casting. I think there are Survivor teams who could have come in here and been very competitive.
0: Like me and Steven.
3: Exactly, exactly.
0: Mm -hmm. Especially in that Batman (laughs)
3: but nobody would have gotten to see it (laughs) sadly (laughs) alright so um, we got a question from uh, Chris D has a good question here he says hi there I love the podcast thanks who do you think has the advantage Nicole and Victor with track record of success but yet to meet true adversity or Brett and Chris who arguably have more experience with being in the back but are now training up could a bad leg creep up on Victor and Nicole?
2: Hmm.
4: I, it's tough because I think usually on shows like Survivor and Big Brother, you would say, you know, one of the reasons why Dr. Will Kirby is one of the best players is because, you know, he had a good amount of scares with being on the block. And he was able to re- approach that experience being cool, calm, and collective, whereas other people came to pieces around him. He was able to sort of benefit from that. I feel like actually with the amazing race, maybe I'll go against what I said about 15 minutes ago. I don't know how advantageous it is when you get non eliminated and you keep on racing considering that it's not so much about like, okay, now I need to change my game knowing that I nearly went home here. Then the name of the game is just to race and to not finish in last place. I don't know how much could have changed. Maybe when we talk, right. Maybe when we talk with Chris and Brett later on at some point, we can ask them, but I really doubt from a mentality perspective, you can really Change that much to your racing based on the fact that you happen to have a bad leg.
0: Right. In all the time that we've talked about the Beekman Boys Jess, like we're, there's never been like an intentional Matt Singh component of it's actually better off if you are at the back of the pack, most of the race, because then you are racing with your life on the line, and it really teaches you how to uh, race when the pressure is on for the final leg.
3: No, there's not. And I think there is something to the concept of having a little bit of momentum where if you are succeeding and you're doing well and you're not in danger, you're not stressing about it. And I think that helps you keep a clearer head to face whatever is in front of you. So I think the key thing is if you are in the back of the pack, you just have to not let it get in your head about being the back of the pack. Don't let it mean anything. You just focus on not getting eliminated week to week. And that's how you end up winning the race. Okay. Um, we got a couple of questions. I want to ask this question here. We've s- spoken about this a little bit, but I can never pass up an opportunity to feature a question from one of my favorite listeners, one Hot Nuts, mm-hmm. who, says,
2: <laughs>
3: who says, should we feel let down that a quasi-switchback of arguably the most iconic meltdown in Amazing Race lore was both a never even mentioned and b excruciatingly easy. Hmm.
4: Yeah, I mean it's it's also weird. I'm trying to remember. Have they done switchbacks on returning player seasons before? My my memory is escaping me now, but I feel like for What's the, for the uh,
0: non-initiated. Oh yes. uh, Mike. Could you explain what a switchback is?
4: Oh, well, hold on. First, let me just get this going.
3: Amazing
4: Race you yeah, Don't get up Natural from your seats Jeff. yet, students. Please, please. We, we've got one more lesson I want to give you before the bell rings. So a switchback is The Amazing Race being self-referential uh, because they tend to visit a lot of locations on a consistent basis. What they decided to do, I think, starting back in season 16 or 15, I want to say, is they started instituting a task called a switchback, which is just a regular task, but it's basically a carbon copy. Of a previous task from a previous season. So what Jazz mentioned before, the task where they had to ride the bikes with a bunch of baskets attached to it from season 29 was a switchback of a task from season three. And it was even marketed as it. It's given a name and everything. This was sort of a disguise switchback for whatever reason. I think
3: sometimes they say it's a switchback when they think that there's no way they can get around pretending it's not. Mm hmm. I think the last time we truly had a switch back where they pumped it up a lot was probably back in season 25 when they switched back to the Colin Ox task.
2: Mm. Yeah,
0: that's true. It's interesting because uh that... In some ways, that uh, it's—I it, can understand why they struggle with it because that uh, it's a—it's a cool way to say, "Oh, okay, this is something for our fans that we're doing." But it does feel like that just they do recycle a lot of the uh, same tasks and uh, bring them back out over and over again in specific places. Mm-hmm. So if they did it. Often, you know, uh, that uh, you might have a switchback, you know, uh, every other week on the show.
4: Not to mention the fact that they they never deliver on the reprises. Like we've done what, probably five or six at this point, Jess, and I really can't remember anyone that delivered to the iconic TV moments that the original produced.
3: No, I think that's that's very true. And I think that. I almost think I would rather them not highlight it if they're going to resurrect a task because then we get excited. We think somebody's going to break down over the broken ox and it just doesn't happen.
4: Mm -hmm. So you're saying they did they do a good thing here by not mentioning it?
3: Maybe they did. I'm thinking specifically there was a point in time in Survivor history where they started to reuse challenges and they started to not comment on it where they would kind of sneak it in. And for a while, if you saw a challenge that had been used before, Jeff Probst would say, we've used this one before in this season, especially if it's returning player season. And then they don't really do that anymore. They're just like, oh, this is that challenge, and this is that challenge, because they reuse these ones so many times. Mm-hmm. And also, so many of the challenges are just go out and get the puzzle pieces and then put the puzzle together. Um and I think this is kind of, we're reaching a point now where, especially when you're going to some places you've been before, it's hard to think up new tasks that have the same level of difficulty that makes for good television. And so why not just bring back one that we've done before or something very similar when we know it's delivered in the past? And I think it's okay. I don't love it. I want to see new and fresh all the time, but I also recognize not everybody has the same power to retain everything that's ever happened on this stupid show and all of its international <laughs> spinoffs that some of us do
4: it's a very like karid like way to end that statement yes yes
3: i don't know i i i feel like i feel like i've got a little bit of the binder still in me um okay so um uh, i've got some kind of fun ones uh to close this out but michael shea wants to know since we are all mourning rupert's early exit do you think cbs should have hired rupert to demonstrate each competition so they oh. have full season of rupert well survivor and big brother use interns when demonstrating their competitions
4: so much for my dream team
0: <laughs> uh, could he stay in the blue leotard uh demonstrating all of the tasks well, no, because then he won't be wearing his tie-dye. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, boy, uh, I would love that uh, if they could uh, show us Rupert practicing uh, and demonstrating every single task, but I-, I don't know if he would be a good demonstrator.
3: <laughs> He'd be an excellent oh. demonstrator.
4: <laughs> I love you both, please. That we can't end like this. <laughs> <laughs> the, so I guess would the question be, would he be like a Dream Teamer where we see like his hands work as... I'll explain the task, or would Rupert just take over from Phil's place and explaining how to do these things?
0: So uh, Rupert, as the host of the Amazing Race, if Phil steps down,
4: or Rupert is like doing like a, like a this old house type of thing of like when you do this roadblock, you want to turn very tightly on the corners.
3: Hmm. Like Phil kicks it to Rupert to tell them about the task. <laughs> sure.
0: <laughs> what about Laura? I,
3: Laura's contributing exactly as much as she has in any previous season of any show. I'm sure she's great, but she's married to Rupert. I think she's used to this. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, I'm okay with it.
3: Yeah. and, and Interestingly it, and- enough, on Amazing Race Canada, very famously, John Montgomery, the host of Amazing Race Canada, will explain the task, and then he does the task, and it doesn't matter what the task is. I can't think of any that he hasn't done. mm mm-hmm. Like, he bungee jumps, and he eats bugs, and he will, like, put the stupid costume on and do the dance. Mm -hmm. And I always kind of secretly hoped Phil would do that, but Phil is kind of above that. So if Phil brings someone in to demonstrate all the tasks, I think that's okay, and I think it's even better if that person is Rupert.
4: Should we try to pretend that Rupert is Phil? Like, should he try to do a stunt double thing where he wears the same leather jacket as Phil and try to (laughs) cut away from it to make it look like it's Phil doing the task?
3: Except it's very clearly reversed.
4: It's Phil. <laughs> Good day.
3: <laughs> this just got better. Yeah. <laughs> one more fun one for us. Uh, just because I, I like this a lot. Uh, Felipe in our Facebook group asked, How would Asher, George, Dominic, and Anthony do on a future Amazing Race family edition? And then Justin Feinberg had follow-up question. Which of these four is more? Which of these four is most likely to respond to their elimination by leaving the mat to cry?
2: Hmm.
4: Well, Asher Asher can't move, so I put him last <laughs> in that question.
0: Fair. Hmm. Fair. Yeah. Um, am I thinking Dominic and Anthony, or is it just uh, one of them?
4: I'm, I think it's, so. We're going back to the Amazing Race Family Edition, where memorably there were teams of four mm-hmm. that competed together. So we're assuming if we're they, taking all the children of RHAP and putting them onto one male, 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 male <laughs> team, what's gonna happen? Mm.
0: Uh, boy. Um, Dominic really likes watching when Corinne and Eliza were uh, having to unhook the prawns. Really, that re- That scene really speaks to him. So... Uh that uh that he would push them to go uh to see any sort of wildlife.
3: That's good. He'll he'll do all the animal tasks.
4: <laughs> and I guess we found out this week that I think George would be great at any sort of singing yes. or language based tasks.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, he's got the performance stuff nailed.
0: Yeah. Okay.
3: He's your guy for Vietnamese karaoke.
0: All right. And uh that's good. And Anthony can eat anything, uh that any sort of eating challenge.
4: I think my boy's the flow of this group. I don't know what you uh, can do surprise. with him. I
0: mean, uh, give him a week, Mike.
4: That's, yeah, he's less than a week old. I don't know how to answer this question. Uh, he did come out with a full head of hair, so I guess if there's a roadblock where he has to shave his head, maybe, for a fast forward, maybe he can do that. Okay. I don't want to create a five hole for my child. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, speaking of speculating on how wildly unsuited people would do for the Amazing yes. Race. I think it's time to talk about how Rob and Steven would do on the race.
0: Four weeks in, I'm a little disappointed we don't have a jingle for this.
4: I know, I'm very surprised Get, as get well.
0: Will from America
4: or George on this. <laughs> <laughs> if they can collaborate. <laughs> this is Will from America and a two-year-old.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Alright, so so let's talk about, I guess we should start here uh all right let, let's talk about the speed bump let's say rob and stephen were able to survive the non-elimination lake because i'm super intrigued rob between you and stephen who do you think would or who do we think jess would do a better job at if we're looking at like the 25 to 30 snowballs they had to form to the uh to the amusement oh, of this got, polar if
0: we got last place last week
4: <laughs> yeah i'm so sorry but good news rob <laughs> you're, but you're they both going to through. do it <laughs> yeah so I, but I guess my question is who would produce more snowballs of the two jess
3: Uh, Well, Rob lives in Southern California, Mm -hmm. but Stephen is from Southern California. Mm. Rob grew up someplace with snow, and now Stephen lives someplace where snow is. Mm. I'm going to give the edge to Rob on this one because he had his whole childhood.
4: I would say that I'd give it to Rob as well only because Stephen would pick up the snow and put it on his shoulder to ice it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's out of the sling now, so uh, he's doing okay.
4: So let's go to the roadblock here. Jess, will Rob live his lifelong dream of getting to drive a moped through a driver's ed course? Or do we think that Stephen Fishback would be found on a moped? I can't get through that question without laughing.
3: I think you just answered
0: it yourself. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd be good at it, but I think that somehow I'd be uh, the, uh, uh, <laughs> in the Eliza position of having to uh, take that one for the team.
3: I feel like you probably would edge out
0: Eliza. <laughs> I I think, I I mean, uh, it looks hard, but I feel like I would get it.
4: So did yeah. you and Steven, I know you even talked about like what tasks you would do. Did you have it down to a science like critical yeah. it? that did as to like, okay, this task will do this driving task you'll do.
0: I mean, they were actually going. Uh, We did not like uh, we were sort of like, uh, you know, uh, not preparing as if this was going to be a reality.
4: Mm, So it didn't exactly get down to that, like granular level.
0: Definitely not. Definitely not. It was, uh, you know, a couple of uh, a couple of conversations uh, and uh, it did not feel like that uh, we were uh, on the inside.
3: Well, the good news is we're now doing this all for you. Yeah. So you'll have on the off chance you ever do get called and you do decide it is the right time. I'm sure Mike and I will have spreadsheets to give you. Okay. so we're working this all out now.
4: Yeah, we'll off board that support to Alexander Chester to make that for you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Last question. I think we know the answer to this, but I have a feeling you would go with irritation above irrigation, considering what we talked about in this podcast
0: yeah i think so i mean um i don't know unless steven really felt like something about the uh (laughs) putting together i
3: could see that happening i really could
0: yeah that that would really speak to him uh but i think yeah rowing the boat would be good and this was going to get fish i feel like Uh, we're getting the fishy
4: (laughs) that's that's very true so in in that case though since we saw one teammate do the Rowing and one person sort of sit down. Who do you think is going to be the rower of you two?
0: Uh, I don't know. I feel like, uh, if Steven has a bum shoulder, then it might have to be me.
4: Mm, that's true. I mean, Steven also has very long arms. Maybe he could have made them makeshift paddles as well to help you guys.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. We go, maybe we could take turns.
4: Yeah, that's true. Uh, Jesse, you have any other? What ifs you want to throw out there before we adjourn the Vietnam session of the No It Alternate Universe?
3: Well, I think, I think we've talked at length about how they'd be at badminton, so I think we're good.
4: <laughs> yes, truly, their worst to first would have come true as they came to a resounding success, winning a romantic swim-up trip to the Dominican Republic due to their superior badminton skills.
0: Okay. All right. So we are going to have uh, one week off from The Amazing Race uh, to observe the Survivor Edge of Extinction finale coming up on May 15th. But then The Amazing Race uh, will be back on Wednesday night on May 22nd. Jess, do I have that right? That sounds right to me. Okay, so uh, a one-week yadas for The Amazing Race as we will come back uh, in two weeks with our recap of everything that's going on. And, and where are we headed to next, Jess?
3: Um, That's a good question. My DVR didn't show the Mike, next Mike, do you thing. know?
4: We are going to Dubai. Oh. So uh, an oft mentioned uh, thing in this episode. Are we and going to Snowtown? Snowtown 2. The snowening. Uh, snow-it-alls, if you will. Uh, no, It looks like we're doing some weird sort of like bungee zipline thing. I know that we had said, okay, I think the freak costume from last season might've been a low point in terms of costumes, but now we have dinosaur costumes going on. Looks like Rachel and Alyssa might be uh, heading on a downward spiral, but more importantly, not only do we have uh, an episode of the amazing race in two weeks, we have a two hour episode of the amazing race in two weeks. I think they're sort of trying to, they're sort of trying to make up for lost time. Amazing race is now moving into survivor slot of 8 p.m. Our double header of Survivor and Amazing Race is now finito for this season. So for those of you that are setting your DVRs, um, make sure that you set them to 8 o'clock from now on is when the race is going to be. And I think after the two-hour episode, it should be single episodes until the finale.
0: Yeah. Jess, should we expect a, a non-elimination leg in the two-hour block?
3: That's always how I'd like to have it lined up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not historically been the case. Um, it's really kind of varied. I hope I hope that what we get is non-elimination in the middle and then elimination at the end. That feels very neat and tidy, but it might be too soon. We'll see.
4: Okay. It's interesting. Speaking of alternate universes, next time we'll be talking is the time when The Amazing Race 31 should have premiered back in the day. Oh,
0: yeah. Okay. Uh, well, the world will be a different place uh, when we reconvene in two weeks. Uh, there will be a winner of Survivor Edge of Extinction. The Game of Thrones will be over and we will uh, have uh, two more legs of the amazing race to talk about.
3: And Mike's kid will be old enough to weigh in. <laughs> finally. He's going to be doing his own drop. Finally. So we'll finally
4: be able to contribute to the team. to The roadblock count will finally get evened out again.
0: Okay. Now pull your weight, Asher. Okay. Uh, Jess, uh, what should people uh, check out that you're doing?
3: Um, well, let's see. I've got another article coming out on primetimer.com next week sometime, but it's... It's still in the works. Um, you can actually go there now and read my article on the Friends finale, which seems to have been very well received. I'm pretty
0: happy with how it better out. received than the Friends finale.
3: Yes, well, that was not hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, I guess I'm around um, on the social medias. You can catch me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Probably more than I should.
0: Be. Okay, at Haymaker Hattie for Jess and Mike. I know you're uh coming out of your paternity leave uh you and i are going to get together this weekend to talk about survivor on the feedback show as we head towards the survivor finale
4: i am so excited i feel like a bird flying free and loose i have no idea what we're going to be talking about but that's always going to make it the most fun so i can't wait to get together with you uh, i'll play a couple of other things where i'm slowly like weaning myself back on the other podcast that I do but I won't be on this week on the RHAP BNB, and Liana Boris who has been holding down the fort magnificently is going to be on with a Canadian double dose Whoa. Uh, Z- Sam McKeeley and Kirsten McKinnis, which should be a lot of fun yeah, she, and uh, the-
0: she's like the new Mike Bloom she was on like uh, four <laughs> different podcasts last weekend
4: I really have transferred my energy to her briefly during that portion of time. We we did a mind meld shortly before I went on maternity leave. Uh, So she has she has my catra now and uh, also on the RuPaul's Drag Race, RuCap, Brent and Liana, I believe, will be joined by Brian Scally. Don't hold me to that. Another thing that's coming up, one season of Survivor may be ending, but Bryce Isaiah's new favorite, Survivor South Africa, <laughs> is starting up soon. And uh, I will be doing coverage of that with Shannon Gates. Usually, uh, I will not be there for the cast preview that they're about to do. But guess who? Liana Boris is going to be talking with Shannon Gates. a podcast. Yeah, to talk about the 21 new players of Survivor South Africa, Island of Secrets. And 21? even I'm 21? There- is that a misprint? That is not a misprint. Word. We are going Australian levels, so we'll see what comes of that. I'm super excited to listen to what they have to say, and I'm even more excited to get into it with Shannon starting next week when the season What, what is it,
0: three tribes of seven?
4: That's my assumption. It could be, you know, they do have this this uh, eponymous island of secrets. It could uh, be two tribes they, of ten Jensen and one somebody. and a Sylvia yeah. uh, on there. We shall see. That'd I am absolutely... Yeah, that's a non orthogonal season. Absolutely. So we shall see. I'm really excited. That was one of my favorite seasons last year. It's gonna be tough to top. But I'm excited to talk about Shannon with with anything. So a lot of stuff coming into the hopper. And I want to thank you both and thank everybody out in RHAP as well for the very well wishes during the past several days bringing asher uh into this world and catching him up to speed i guess with all things reality tv it's been i've been very grateful for it and uh, i cannot wait to see where we go from here
0: okay all right anything else uh in regards to amazing race 31
4: or anything else no, I I'm, I'm, I think you should go practice for Batman in the two weeks in between. We All have right, an off well, week now.
0: Yeah. All right. Me and Steven versus you two uh, next time we get together.
4: Yep. I, got, I, got, I, got, I, got, I like those odds. Yes. <laughs> All
0: right. Uh, take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.